And the most amazing covenant that God has given us in the relationship to the Word of God is the new covenant. And as I said yesterday, God has poured out an amazing dignity towards us, amazing nobility towards us. And in that dignity, what it is is that God's Word has come to us, has entered into us. Remember, the Word itself is wisdom. And that word itself is God. As it says in John 1, 1, that the word was God. And that word is the character of God. And so the fact that this word is dwelling inside of you, is moving inside of you, as we see in chapter 2, that you are being made in the image of God. You are becoming like God. Now, of course, we are not self-sufficient, but God's plan for you is to make you to be like God. In Ephesians 5.1, Paul says the same thing, that be imitators of God. And also, whether it's Romans or other epistles, it says that perfect the image of Christ. And that the image of God is perfection. And who, what is it that makes this work happen inside of us? It is the Word of God. And so, this new covenant means that in my spirit, the Word is there. In my mind, is the Word is also there. And so, though I cannot discuss the human physiology into you, but it is important to know how God created us. And so in the structure of a man, God's word has been put into our spirit and in our mind, as it says in Jeremiah 33, 31. And so as this word uh, interchanges within my mind and my spirit, it moves my action, my behavior. And I might take some time to share a little bit regarding this today. But God is restoring how you were originally created. For example, let's say that you have a lot of rage, you have a lot of anger. That person might be thinking that, oh, I've always been like this. But you need to understand that when God created us, He did not create us with the with, um, he did not create us with the ingredient of rage. And so we need to be able to cast that out. And how can we cast it out? By receiving the Word of God, understanding the Word of God. Maybe there's some of you who fall into despair easily. And that person might think that, oh, I've always been melancholic. But no, this was never part of you. God did not use this ingredient when He created you. And so we can easily cast it away. And I always say that out of your being comes your food. Which means that in your character, the character of Christ, your, your, your personality is formed. And so if you have these false characters, these wrong personalities, the power of God gets limited in your life. And especially you as leaders. As leaders, if you have these kinds of false, uh, these kinds of wrong personalities, you cannot raise up disciples. You need to be meek. 
you need to be humble you need to be uh, uh, you need to be um, um, patient you need to be long-suffering you need to always be in the peace of God you should not move by the impulses of your flesh as we'll see in Ephesians this rage is a very critical uh, danger if the leader has a lot of rage, then all of your disciples will get hurt and will be offended. And so, the Word is what solves all of these character flaws. Not only, but that's not all that the Word does. But what we need to understand today, what I want to emphasize to you today, is that the Word changes my character. If you compare me today with who I was 33 years ago, I'm a completely different person. At that time, I did not say a single word unless you asked me something directly. And also, remember I shared with you yesterday, I was also very dumb. But look at me today. I speak all the time, and I'm always happy. I've been completely transformed. And as you live with the Word of God, this Word becomes part of your character. And this word becomes your character. That means you can live out the characteristics of the word. So from that perspective, this is why the new covenant is so important to us. And new covenant, uh, in order to understand the new covenant, I need to preach out of Hebrews. And so please continue to pray that there will be envy here in Central America so that I could spend two weeks to, to go through the book of Hebrews with you all. Because the book of Hebrews is a really important book. Hebrews is considered the fifth gospel, right? If you do not understand the book of Hebrews, let's say that you're building a bridge then it's as if that middle, the very uh, important part, is doesn't get finished. That's what it is to not understand Hebrews. And so it's important for us to get Hebrews. Because in Hebrews describes Jesus' ministry of heavenly tabernacle. Why we are able to live as righteous. How God gives us holiness is all described in the book of Hebrews. And there, I believe God will open up this opportunity and uh, continue to pray that uh, the book of Hebrews that we have written would be um, the commentary on Hebrews, the sermons on Hebrews would be curry up and translated into Spanish. But anyways, we weren't able to finish all of chapter 1, yes? So from verses 15 to 23, right? Remember, the literary, the literary device of Ephesians is a poem. It's a poet, poetry. Now, you cannot say it's absolutely necessary to understand how the various books of the Bible are written. But there are a couple books that you need to know what kind of literary device is used in order to uh, interpret the text correctly. 
For example, if you look at the book of Mark, Mark is a narrative. And so because it's a narrative, how should you interpret Mark? Is all, all these amazing miracles that Jesus did, is it a record of all these miracles? No, remember, Mark is not a narrative, but it is a novel. And so if you look at it as a novel, okay, novel is written in a, a rise, a climax, and then a, and then a decline, right? And that conclusion is, is what's important. And so where is the emphasis of the book of Mark? It's when Jesus Christ dies on the cross confirming his identity as the Son of God. And so the evidence of his messiahship is not the miracles that he did. And so if you interpret the book of Mark incorrectly, you're going to believe that, ah, oh, pastor needs power. No. Power is not proof of his messiahship. Then does that mean that disciples are also messiahs? Because they did the same powers. Am I the messiah? No, this is danger of interpreting Mark incorrectly. And that's why the interpretation is so important. And I'm sure that many of your seminary schools have taught you that Mark is a narrative. And so that's why Mark, it seems like it's an emphasis on miracles and signs and wonders. No, that's not the emphasis of Mark because that is not evidence of his messiahship. No, miracles and signs are simply an evidence of the word. It is the word being revealed. And so as long as the word is not limited, there will be an unleashing and unraveling of miracles and signs. And so do not be chasing after miracle workers. And so is it a novel or is it a narrative? This will transform the interpretation of Mark. And then we talk about Ephesians. Ephesians is a poem. And so if you understand that it is a poem, What's important then is to understand that in each and every single line, there is layers of meaning. And so each word doesn't just mean a single word, a definition. And so that's why in that context, it's not easy to receive the revelations of Ephesians. In Ephesians, Paul sees revelation and he proclaims it. And with that revelation, as he sees that revelation, he prays. And so that's kind of how uh, this the structure of Ephesians. And so he sees the revelation from chapter, verse 3 to 14. And then from verse 15, he's praying. So in verse 15, he prays, right? As, as we see. And what prayer does he pray? Right, we talked about that wisdom and revelation that has been given yesterday. And so we talked about the relationship between wisdom and revelation. 
Remember, God created us, designed us to face towards Him, to rely on Him. And tonight we're going to engage in spiritual warfare and cast out demons. But if you do not receive revelation, if you don't know revelation, right, what did we talk about revelation? What is revelation yesterday? That your the purpose of your life, the motivations of your life, and the direction of your life is all pointed at God. This is not a special thing. Honestly, all this, all the context, contents of my sermons is not only for special people. For anyone who has met with God and who is a child of God must live like this because this is so normal. And so if you do not know the meaning of revelation, then you think that it's okay to meet with God every now and then. That it's okay to just receive grace and be blessed on Sundays. No, but the Bible says that 24-7, 365, to maintain the fullness of the Holy Spirit. To always be filled with the Spirit. And that state is described as the new self-state. And only the new self is, is called righteous before God. And only the new self has the right to meet with God. And so when God created Adam, He created Adam to live by what? By meeting with Him. And so fundamentally, man cannot survive without meeting with God. And so this is when many countries will say, Amen! Why aren't you not saying amen, brothers? Do you not want to meet with God? Thanks be to God. This is all the strategy of the great prostitute. As if it's okay to live your life without meeting God. As if that's normal. We do not meet God every now and then. We do not meet God only just once. No, we meet God every day. Every moment being in His presence. And when you are always in His presence, you will taste the amazing wonder of it. Look at David, even in the Old Testament. He says in Psalms 40, Oh God, how deep is your thoughts for me? And that as he meets with God, he sees how much God is considering of him how much he shows revelations and how much he speaks to David. But this isn't a special privilege. This is how God originally, his attitude towards you. And so especially you as pastors, God has entrusted his church to you. And so how interested would he be in you? But many pastors, the way I look at them, they're not that interested in God. So do not be interested in anything else. When I look at the pastors of the world, they have so many other interests. 
especially in Latin Americans, I see the pastors, you are so interested in soccer, in football. Last time we were having a conference in Paraguay, I asked the pastors, hey pastors, let's say that Paraguay uh, got to the finals of World Cup. But what happens if that game day is at the time of your worship service? They said they would move the worship service to a different time. Same thing to you, right, pastors? You guys got to be careful. El Salvador and Honduras fought a war because of soccer. Okay, we got to be careful of the three S's. Okay, these are all the baits of Satan. What are the three S's? Satan, screen, oh, sorry, sorry, once again, screen, the three S's, screen, sex, and sports. Sports makes enemies out of people who have nothing to do with you. Whenever I go to Europe every now and then, Europe, soccer, is warfare, right? They, they fight each other for, for over teams that they support. And people who love sports, they have lots of pent-up rage. Pastors, please do not get enthralled in sports. And so make a determination in this conference that I will no longer watch soccer or football. That you cannot be holy enjoying these sports. Lord, these servants of yours will no longer watch football. So God has so much interest over you. And let's give interest to God, amen? Your spirit needs to always be open to God. Throughout this entire time, I've been saying, we do not live by our works. We live out of our being. And we'll see this in chapter 2, verse 10. And so as long as you know who you are, then you will know what direction you are to go. It's because you forget that you are a king of God that you are always looking to the world. It's because you forget that you are the son of the king, that's why you always spend time with eunuchs. No, the princes should spend time with princes. That's what's important. The amazing dignity that God has given you, you need to hold on to that and protect it with your life in faith. 
you can say that this is everything to Christianity. When you receive the dignity that God has given His children in faith, then God will, uh, will keep you, will guard you for that faith. And so look, the reason why the Jews are so important is because no matter where they get sent out into the world, no matter where they get spread out, that when they recognize that they are Israel, then God treats them as Israel, as His children. And so wherever they go, they bring God's blessing into their lives. This is the importance of your identity. And going beyond that, brothers, you are pastors. As pastors, you need to recognize the dignity you have. If you lose sight of that dignity, then you become worthless. Understand? Amen? Let's continue. And so I talked about revelation and wisdom. And so in verse 18, why did he give us wisdom and revelation? So that our eyes of our hearts could be enlightened. In other words, it means to open your eyes of faith. And when you look at the Bible, the Bible, especially throughout the New Testament, says that you need to look, behold, behold. Look throughout the Bible, how often it tells you to behold, to see. Why does it keep telling you to see? It's not saying to see with your physical eyes, to see through your spiritual eyes. Okay, what does the Bible describe hope as? It's what you cannot see. But it keeps telling you to behold what you cannot see. Behold what is invisible. And so we live in a time when we have to see what is invisible. Why does it say to see? Why is this so important to see? Because our God was invisible in the Old Testament. But now through Jesus Christ, as He came in the flesh, God became visible. And so in Hebrews 1.4, it says that He is the very image of God, the, the glory, the radiance of His glory. And so He put on His image and came to this earth. So we must behold Him. We, in the past, you could not see glory. If they saw the glory, they would die immediately. But now that Jesus Christ has given us righteousness, now we have to see if we want to live. If we do not see that glory, we will die. In Hebrews 11, it says that Abraham, the moment he saw the glory, he looked towards heaven. We need to see the glory of heaven. As it says in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, 4, 4, to look upon the face of Jesus Christ, which radiates the glory of God. And so that will what will create the perfection of the image of God in you. And if you look at 2 Corinthians 3, 8, it says that the Holy Spirit leads us from glory to glory. And so we need to see that glory and it will be perfected in the image of Christ. And then in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, that the gospel radiates the light of glory. And we need to see that light of glory in order to be made into His image. And so we need to open our eyes of faith. Amen? And 
so as we see that image, we are perfected in the image of Christ. And so some of you are looking at Jesus without ears, Jesus who has no ears. Some of you are looking at Jesus who has no nose because you're unable to see clearly. And so when you look at 1 John 3, 2, that we see him, that we know that we are seeing him because we see him now in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, it says that though it is uh, a bit hazy, we need to see his face. But the face that we see right now is the face that we'll see when we meet him face to face. And so when the priestly kings go to heaven, they will all say the same thing. What will they say? As the moment they look at Jesus, Oh, it's the same. Because the face that we see, that we are seeing now, is the same face that we'll see then. So if you cannot see that face now, then you probably won't even go there. But when, if you do go there, you, you would go to Jesus and say, Who are you, sir? <laughs> That's the problem. That's the problem of not looking at him now. You'll say, Who are you, sir? So brothers, in this season, you need to be able to draw the face of Jesus Christ. Because in His Word, the image of God is perfected in you. And because you have been engraved in the image of God, that your spirit can see. Right? To an eyes of a pig, all a pig sees is other pigs. And when Jacob met with God on the banks of the river Jabbok, the moment he meets with Esau, what does he say to Esau? He says, when I look at your face, brother, it's as if I'm looking at the face of God. Why? Because Jacob's image has changed. And so open your eyes, brothers. It's because you're constantly looking at other things. As it says in 1 John 2.15, we see this word says, the desires of our eyes. When you keep opening your eyes to evil according to the desires of your eyes, I'll talk about the noose a little bit later. When God created us, uh, one of the functions of our spirits is this door called the noose. And if this noose is corrupted, like it says in Revelations, okay, actually, we'll look at this a little bit later. Later when I talk about noose. Uh, this is really important. But anyways, when the noose gets corrupted, your spirit can no longer look at the glory of God, look at the light of God. So if that noose gets corrupted, you cannot discern the spirits. And so if you keep watching TV, sports, this is polluting your noose. Especially in this day and age, it's because of the cell phones. These cell phones constantly corrupt your noose. Your noose is so filthy because of your cell phones. 
So pastors, keep your cell phones far from yourselves. The closer you are to your cell phones, the more dangerous you are, the more danger you are in. So when I look around me, uh, these people have become so habitualized with their cell phones, even the saints. And so when I interpret some of the, saint, the saints, they sing this song within their souls. That uh, the, my cell phone is my, is my good shepherd and I shall not want. It leads me by green pastures. No, but really, this is what uh, many people's souls are saying. That is how dangerous your cell phones are. When I minister to people, uh, when you look at the generations who were born after cell phones, their, their, their spiritual state is so dirty. And then especially when smartphone, generations of smartphones, they're even different. That's how much their souls get bound, their spirits get bound. And so I'll talk about why this is so serious a little bit later. But anyways, with our spiritual eyes, we need to behold God. And so in order for wisdom and revelation to continue to be activated, we must be holy. We should not look to the world. We need to look to God. And so as our eyes are enlightened, what do we come to know? That you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. And second is what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And third, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. And so we need to open the eyes of faith in order to know these things. So the first thing, the hope of what we what we have out of our calling. And so in our lives, we have many various callings, but the most essential calling is the calling to Jesus Christ. And through that calling, you have been saved and have become a child of God. And in Ephesians, it emphasizes the calling to the church. It's not just attending any church. God entrusts the children of God to who? To the church of God. And so those who have been called to the church of God, they are who, who is the child of God. And so we need to be called to a child of God, or a church of God. And so this is a little bit complicated because there are so many churches in this world. Which of that church is a church of God? Because they all claim to be church of God. But does that mean that God acknowledges them all as his church? That is a different matter altogether. And this is something that requires a lot of time. So hopefully God will give an opportunity to talk about this later. But let's just talk about one thing right now. That the most important requirement that, that you can see to test if it is a church of God is look at the pastor of that church. 
right, is because of what Peter confessed in Matthew 16, right? The rock that I will establish my church on you. And so this rock has two significant meetings, right? First is Jesus himself. And the second thing is that the rock is Peter himself. That Peter, upon this rock, I will build my church. And so the pastor needs to meet with God and be established by God. And when that pastor is established upon him, his church will be built up. And we'll talk this a little bit later. I'll talk more in depth about this in chapter 2. But look, if it is a church of God, you can recognize it by looking at the head pastor of that church. And so the head pastor's calling, does he have the truth of God? And is he giving his life all for that truth? And is he giving his life for the holy that God has in, holiness that God has entrusted to the church? If so, then that is primarily a church of God. And so, this is logical, right? Like, when I send my children to a school, I'm going to send them to a school with the best teachers. Right? Then who is God going to entrust His children to? to? He's entrusting the church that He has purchased with His blood. Then of course He's going to entrust it to pastors who are giving their lives for the glory of God. And so we need to recognize the church calling to the church. And so when a church, when a member comes to our church for the first time, I just leave them alone for a little bit because I want to see whether they have the calling to our church or not. This is really important in, in our church. And so when they register to be a member of our church, uh, I first write their names down in our, in our register at, in pencil so that I can erase their names if they leave. But once they confirm that they are, have the calling to this church, I will go over in pen. And none of them know who's, which ones are pencils and which ones are pens. They do not know. They do not know which ones are pencils and which ones are pens. Maybe some of them are, have an inkling of which ones they are. But look, it's like this, brothers. Until they confirm their calling, I do not officially begin to pray for them. Honestly, I don't even ask them to do any work in the church. The reason why many saints are fallen these days is because they are not even born again. And yet they work in the church. And because they work in the church, the pastor relies on them. And so, before they can have faith in God, they have faith in religion. And these kinds of people easily get corrupted. It's, and so I wait until they are born again and have calling to the church. They need to confirm that they are born again. And they need to confirm whether or not they have the calling to the church. And when that happens, then finally I can pray for them and work and ask them to work. And so there are many reasons for this. 
But I pray five hours every day, at least five hours every day. And there are so many things to pray for. And so if I pray for these members who are not part of the church, then I have to pray all day long. And so I put it off until they become a full member. But anyways, and so let's continue. So we need to know the hope of, the, of which he has called us. And so it's telling you to understand your calling to the church. And what is the hope of that calling? It is that you will be holy and blameless. That is your hope, to be holy and blameless. Your hope is not to earn lots of money. Your hope is not to live a beautiful life on this earth. Your hope is not to solve problems. No, your hope is to be holy and blameless. And so there is no meaning in being successful everywhere else when this fails. And so the past, the sheep that you are pastoring do not enjoy in making something on this earth in their lives. No, the first thing that you should confirm in them is that will they be praised by Jesus Christ when the, His kingdom comes? And so my church members are here with me today. I have never took an issue with them failing in work, failing in, in their life. No, it, it's, it could happen. Things happen. It's okay. You can find another job. You lost all your money. It's okay. Maybe God will provide somewhere else. But if they fail towards eternity, if they are failing towards eternity, then I take issue. Because this is something that you also need to be clear on. You are pastoring your sheep for eternity, not for the, what they make on this earth. If you allow religion to take over your church, this becomes hazy. If you are not looking towards eternity yourself, then this will become hazy. The standard will become hazy. And so some of you may be filled with the Holy Spirit 24 hours a day. And these kinds of people, religion will not enter into them. But if not, religion is always waiting at, its, at your door. Right? For example, it's like this. You're holy because you attend church. Oh, you make offering, you tithe. Oh, you're holy. Oh, oh, you work so hard for the church. You serve the church so well. Ah, you must be holy. No, that's religion. That is religion. Those things are not what reason for your holiness. Those are the basics. They're the fundamentals. When you meet with God, your actions, your works is not what is important. What is it? It's you die for the truth. Then he needs to be able to die. Give all you have to the church. Then he needs to be able to give. Only those who see the glory of the kingdom of heaven can say that they are heading, hoping in the kingdom of heaven. If you cannot speak of the kingdom of heaven, then he is not a saint. What does it mean to speak of the kingdom of heaven? That's what this is being talking of right here. That you can die for the Lord. That you can die for the truth. Right? I do not allow any of my church members to give an inheritance to their children. Honestly, none of them have enough money to even have an inheritance anyways. But anyone who has an inheritance, they, get, they stay quiet. 
But everyone else says, I'm in loud, because they have no inheritance to give anyways. And so what is the hope of what our calling? It is to be holy and blameless. And then also, uh, to uh, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And so the inheritance is us, ourselves, right? And the church. And so we are the church, amen? And so we talked about this, the glory of the praise of his glory. And so when you look at light with our eyes, our physical eyes, that light is white, right? But when that light goes through a prism, right, it separates into the colors of the rainbow. When God created the world universe, he said, let there be light. And when that light shined, that's when the universe came to be. It's the same thing here. When glory enters into us, that glory is light. It's amazing light. And as that light enters into me, it, it um, unravels all the riches of his glory. Everything that is needed for one spirit to become like Jesus Christ is given to the church. The church should not be good at only one thing. The church needs to move in the entirety of the kingdom of heaven. And so if you look at 1 Timothy 3.1, one of the requirements for an overseer is what? Is to be blameless. It means that they have no faults. And so a pastor, you should not have any faults in any aspect. If you want to graduate from medical school, you need to pass every single subject. Why? Because it is a job that deals with life. In the same way as a pastor, you deal with eternal life. And so let's say you're good at everything, but you have a lot of rage. No, that is a failure. Let's say you're good at everything, but every Sunday you have to watch football. You're good at everything, but you have to watch every new movie. Then you do not have a right to be a pastor. Listen carefully, brothers. This isn't out of your efforts. You do not make this. It is God's calling. And when you understand God's calling, His calling will shape you. Because when God calls His servants, He shapes His servants. Amen? And so I'm not telling you to strive and out of your works create this inside of yourself. That is not what I'm saying. Now, of course, when the Holy Spirit moves inside of me powerfully, many times I make my decision. But remember, I'm not saying it's your works. Those who believe in their calling, they will be transformed, shaped in His image. Amen? And so the church that God has established is greater than you could ever imagine. It is the kingdom of heaven itself. And so look at the high priest in the Old Testament. Look at the high priest. Imagine what he felt, the emotions that he felt as he entered into the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement. Remember that on the vestments of the high priest, they have bells. Why are there bells hanging on it? Because as he enters into the Holy of Holies, 
the bells are there so that if they do not hear bells, that means that that high priest has died and so they have to drag him out. And so imagine the emotions of the high priest as he enters into the Holy of Holies. Then first, what emotion is fear? Second is joy and expectation of meeting with God. And so as you pastor your church, these are the emotions that should be filling you. You should always be filled with the fear of the Lord and yet also have expectations to meet with God. Having this great expectation and anticipation of what God is willing to give today. Because God is approaching you every day, every moment. And so it makes no sense for a pastor not to be renewed. Why? Because God has special interest on His pastors. And as I said earlier, because this is the church purchased by His blood, what was the church? The church is established by God trampling upon His only Son. And who has He entrusted this church to? To you, the pastors. And so never lose sight of that glory. This glory, this fear, this joy. Never lose sight of this. Because you have been called to this place. Everywhere I go in the world, I say to the pastors, do you not confirm your calling? Then quit being a pastor. Because my calling is to build pastors up. But many times I make pastors quit their jobs. Why? Because if these low quality pastors um, multiply in the world, then the value of me gets lowered, gets diluted. You are all dignified if you have the calling. If you are called to God's glorious church, then truly all this nobility is yours. And that's why for the past 20 years, whenever I have a conference for pastors, I always provide for them their room and board, everything that they eat. Because that is how noble you are. That is how dignified you are. I'm not serving you because you do not have money. I'm serving you because you are dignified. So bless the person next to you. You are dignified. You are dignified. Digno. You are dignified. Amen. Amen. Oh, your faces have been so brightened today. And so let's continue. And so the third thing is what is the immeasurable greatness of his power? This greatness and power. God is almighty. And the reason why Paul is describing it like this is because remember that at the end of Ephesians is to be excellent in warfare. And so to the church, there's no limit of power. So do not worry about power. For 33 years I've been engaging in spiritual warfare and never once have I been afraid of the devil. They are nothing. Yeah. 
truly, the devil is nothing. If you look, when they come face to face with the glory of God, they will tremble in fear. And remember, who are you? You are the temple of God. And so from within you, his glory radiates out. And so all you have to do is look at that de demon and he will flee. That's what it says in Proverbs. That when the, when the king is seated on the throne of judgment, the enemy flees. Because from your eyes comes fire. From your lips comes fire. Re glory radiates from you. Amen? And so now let's turn to verse chapter 2. Finally, we're beginning chapter 2. <laughs> and so in chapter 1, Paul describes this glorious church. And now in chapter 2, what is the essence of the spiritual uh, truth that allows us to live out this glorious church? In one word, it is this, the cross. That in this cross, it gave us five solutions. And so I'm sure, I remember saying this on the first day, that the church's authority is found at the cross. And so you've heard this many times, I'm sure. The glory without cross. This is a problem. This is prosperity gospel, right? Prosperity gospel It's the problem of that. This is all glory without a cross. This is the corruption of semina seminary. You cannot separate cross with the resurrection, glory of resurrection. But remember, before resurrection is the cross. Right? In John, it talks about the wedding feast at Cana. And we see the miracle of water turning into wine. As the wine runs out, Mary comes to Jesus and says, Oh, Jesus, the wine is running out. And so what does Jesus say? He says, Oh, woman, what does this have to do with me? What does this mean? Why does Jesus say to his own mother, right? Hey, woman. <laughs> of course, he didn't um, curse her. But think about it, right? Saying that to your own mother, that is great ignominy. Right? Woman, what does this have to do with me? What does this mean? Right, because Mary is asking Jesus to use your divine power to turn water to wine. But remember, Jesus knows that it's not yet his time. That I cannot use my divinity. That until I die on the cross, I cannot avail this kingly authority. Now, of course, he worked out through the power of the Holy Spirit. But so see, look, without the cross, there is no glory. The glory that's out, absent cross, riches that is absent the cross, the um, honor and fame without the cross, this is all poison, it's toxic. In Korea, when I look at Korea, 
I can look at a pastor and see how many church members he has. Let's say that he has a hundred church members, then already there's strength in his back. His back is straight. If he's got, if he's got 200 members, then his chin goes up. If he's got at least 300 meters, then his walking changes. His walking changes like this. Now, also, when he gets 300 members, his car changes. Right, this, this is all glory without the cross. Pastors, we possess nothing on this earth. I don't have my own bank account. Now, of course, God lets me enjoy all good things, but I possess nothing. If I possess, it weighs me down. I'm not forcing myself to not possess anything. No, it's just uncomfortable. But yet God gives me limitlessly. I give it all up. That's how a servant of God is supposed to live. Because you are stewards. Stewards possess nothing of their own. You are responsible for your master's things. Amen? And so if you confuse yourself as the master, that is dangerous. And so, in chapter 2, it talks about the five aspects of the cross. First, in verse 1, what do we nail on the cross? Trespasses and sins. And then in verse 2, we nail the world to the cross. Uh, and the prince of the power of the air. And then in verse 3, the flesh, the passions of our flesh. And then in verse 15, the law. And so when these five things are nailed to the cross, that is when the church becomes a sanctuary. When Jesus died on the cross, his flesh was hung on that cross. Right, his sarks, his flesh. And these five things are what the flesh respond to. If you live by the flesh, then these five things are constantly influencing your life. These five things may corrupt you. It may lead you to live a life of religion. Instead of fearing God, you fear man. Instead of uh, um, worrying about God's fame, you worry about your own fame and you create your own kingdom. And so church becomes your church instead of God's church. It's not kingdom of God, but it's my kingdom. It becomes my kingdom. And so pastors, if you're building your own kingdom, I beg of you to repent deeply. So let's look at these things. 
So we're going to examine these five things. So trespasses and sins, world, the prince of the power of the air, right, that's Satan, and the uh, passions of our flesh and the law. And when we look at these five things in Romans, remember the main um, teachings of Romans is the three S's as well here. That Satan uses the secular to fish yourself. And so there's no one in this world that can uh, escape of their own power from this order. Satan uses the secular to hook the self. And so if we want to be free from this relationship, what do we need to do? Listen carefully, brothers. Okay, when you eat these words in faith, this is, will be your power. This will set you free. And so look, we need to break this relationship in order to live the, out the glory that God has created us to live for. If not, then I'm always in this system and being held on, being captive to Satan. And so if necessary to keep you in this captivity, the devil will give you money, will give you fame. If necessary, he'll give you power. He'll, he, he will hold nothing back in order to kill you. And this relationship leads to death. And so we need to cut the hooks of this relationship. And so as we see in verse 1, conversely, Jesus, remember we saw, Jesus reigns over the universe through his body, the church. We need to live in this relationship, Jesus' church universe. But if we live in Satan's self, secular self, then we cannot live by that glory. Because we're constantly under captivity of Satan. And so if you're in this captivity, you're going to live for your fame, you're going to worry about what people think about you. And so pastors, it's really hard to be blessed because of this religion. Right, because you need to show your power and your authority to your church members. So let's say for example, I fought with my wife. And like, you know, we argue, we quarreled. And then a church member shows up. Then the pastor needs to all of a sudden compose himself and say, oh, welcome deacon. <laughs> right, look, look at that. That is a hypo hypocrisy. But that should not be the case. Let's say you fought with your wife and the deacon shows up. And why are you here? He's pissing me off. Why are you here? I think you've all experienced some fashion of this. And honestly, that's why it's so difficult to be a pastor at times. And so it's really hard to, be, to receive God's grace sometimes. 
because there are, is, is this hardness. And that's why I say every day, lay down your priestly vestments and put on just the clean linen and come before the presence of God. And so each and every day, reviewing your life in the presence of God, that ah, I was sinning in this moment. Uh, at that time, I was caught up in religion. That when I was speaking with that person, this was my hypocrisy. These kinds of things, you need to continually repent before God, reviewing, repenting, being cleansed of all of this influence, amen? Every day. And so now, right, right, we're discussing the three S's. We need to cut our relationship to these three S's. Then what do we need to do? Can we kill Satan? Brothers, when you cast demons out, are you killing them? No. Right? Satan does not die until the great white throne, white throne judgment. This is really important, brothers. When you cast demons out, you're not killing them. You are moving them from one place to another. Right? What, what, what about in, in the Bible, right? Jesus moves the uh, legion to where? To the pigs. That means that those demons can come back. That if you're polluted, those demons come back. And so you need to understand that deliverance doesn't just end there. You got to help them to continually go to the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And so if that demon has been in possessing that person for a long time, that's not easy. But so we cannot kill Satan. What about secular, the world? Can we destroy the world? This is another thing. Until the end of time, this world will not be destroyed. And so the only thing that we can deal with is the self. And yet, thanks be to God, that as it says in Galatians 2.20, that Jesus has done exactly that. That I have been crucified on the cross with Christ, and so it is no longer I who live. And so at the cross, we have died. Our old self has died. Amen? And so where is our victory? Our victory is putting to death this old self every day. According to Romans, when this old self dies, that we are dead to sin. And so that means you are proclaiming complete victory, complete freedom. That I am free from sin. That I am dead to sin. That I am free from sin. This is Romans 6. And so, why did Paul proclaim this? Paul is not just speaking this quietly. No. He is proclaiming that you have been completely transformed. That you have entered into a new paradigm of life. Why? Because all the problems of suffering is sin. And so the fact that you have been free from sin means that there's no problems in your life anymore. And so do not allow any problems to be a problem in your life. Because remember, life in itself is not a problem. It's because of sin. And so let's say you don't have money. Is that a problem or not? If you have sin, that is a problem. But it should not be a problem. Whether you have money or don't have money, it shouldn't be a problem because God provides. God is, takes responsibility. But if you have sin, it becomes a problem. And so when I'm open to sin, what does that mean? Gong dong meje. Gong dong meje. 
cemetery here right and let's say you go to the cemetery and you say you bastard is anyone going to uh, come attack you no no one is right because the dead cannot cannot attack you right and so let's say someone is a thorn at your side why is that person a thorn at your side it's because the old self that considers him as a thorn is alive and well inside of you and let's say someone hates you why do you hate them back because you're receiving their hate and you, as you receive that hate, you are welcoming it and letting that hate go back to him. So listen carefully, brothers. If you are dead, nothing is a problem. Right? If you go to the cemetery and say, hey, eat, are they going to eat? No, they cannot. It's not necessary. So when the self is dead, we are, we are victorious. If we're dead to the self, we're dead to sin, we're dead to law. Right? When we sin, we are under the accusation of the law. So Romans 7 says that we are dead to the law. We are dead to the law. That we have been set free from the law. And so he uses this example. Right, there were the eunuchs, right? During when there was kings, in the times of kings, there were eunuchs that would serve the kings. Eunuchs are completely free from the sin of adultery. Let's say that someone accused this eunuch like this. Oh, majesty, I saw him uh, fooling around with your concubine. Then what is that eunuch going to say in his defense? He's going to say, follow me. And he's going to go to the hospital and he's going to pull down his pants. <laughs> right? Right, because all he has to do is show him. Right, a eunuch is completely free from the temptation of adultery. And so, I have died with Christ on the cross. And that means I'm dead to sin. And because you cannot separate sin from the sinner. And so when Jesus died on the cross for my sins, it means that my old self died with him. And because I'm dead to sin, the law cannot accuse me of anything. And so can the demon, can the devil condemn you? Can your conscience condemn you? No. If you are condemned, then you can see it from two perspectives. Either you do not believe you are dead, or second, in your mindset, there are still many of these records of sins. And so the devil is looking at those records, and the devil can enter into you. Until what point? until the function of your spirit. And so he can see the list that's recorded on your conscience. The devil cannot touch your spirit itself because that spirit is created in the image of God. And so the devil cannot deal with your spirit. It starts to paralyze you by touching the functions out of, out of the other part of your functions of your spirit. Wow, there's so much I need to discuss with you, brothers. 
right? I need to talk about human physiology that's described in Romans. This is a really important revolution. But look, look. Because the, sin, because the self is dead, they are completely free from sin and, and, and the law. That's all the entirety of chapter 2 today. These five things have been all dealt with at once. Because my self is dead, all these five things are dealt with. But the problem is, is that when the self dies, we hope that it would die forever. But the problem is that this old self keeps getting back up. But at the same time, this is not a problem. Why? Because all you have to do is keep putting it to death. Because you have the power of the blood, keep killing the old self. Keep putting it to death, and when you do so, the passions of the flesh that the old self has will start to disappear from you. And so we need to be go to glorification. And where does that lead? It leads, you can never be completely separated from your old self. If you look at Isaiah or Revelations, the old self will be separated from you when his kingdom comes. But on this earth, on this earth, what we can do is keep our foot at the neck of the old self to make him be dead. That is glorification on this earth. And so with this in mind, you might think like this, why didn't God get rid of the old self so that I can live in comfort? Right? God judged demons, and yet why does the devil still work in this world? Do you not have this uh, suspicions? Right? Think about it. Isn't it strange? Right? The millennial kingdom has no devils. How great would that be? Do you agree? Every now and then when you engage in spiritual warfare and you're completely victorious, you can experience a presence of God that has no obstacles. This amazing glory. It's feeling like the millennial kingdom. And so we yearn for that millennial kingdom, amen? Because how beautiful is that presence when there is no obstruction of the devil? Every now and then God allows me to experience that. And it's so great, so beautiful. But our reality is that while we're on this earth, there is the devil. And our old self continually comes to life. And if we choose sin, that old self gets revived. Why did God allow this to happen? The day you met with God, from many perspectives, through the blood of Jesus Christ, you receive God's righteousness, right? Romans 3. And that righteousness has made you nominally without sin. That means legally, legally you have become righteous. But you are not yet righteous in practice. And so for this reason, this old self is still there. As you continually put to death this old self, you become practically righteous. 
the kingdom of heaven is not a gathering of people who are nominally righteous, but a gathering of people who are practically righteous. And so through sanctification, through sanctification, what do you need? What process do you need to go through? As it says in Galatians 5.16, that every day I fight this battle within me. Every day fighting against, against the desires of the flesh, letting the desires of the Holy Spirit to win. And there is this intense battle. How intense? That even Paul, the great apostle, what does he say in Romans 7? He says, who will rescue me from this wretched life? Right, in Romans, there is a, a punishment where they bind someone up with rope to kill them. And so, and so even if you take what, two people and bind them together uh, as punishment, they will be tortured, just being bound together forever. Now try binding yourself to a corpse. That is death, the law of death. That is how torturous it is, spiritual warfare. It's like, oh, wretched man that I am, who's going to save me from this law of death? And so even this great apostle Paul has experienced this severe, intense warfare. And so this is a process that you must go through. Why is it so intense? Because the desires of the flesh and the, and the passions of the Holy Spirit is about 50 to 50. And as you are victorious here and the new self grows and grows inside of you, and you continue, it allows you to maintain the fullness of the Holy Spirit and eventually will come comfort. And so this intense battle is this battle within because the old self is alive. And so we need to go through this process in order to become truly righteous. And so why are demons then allowed to exist? Because sin is alive in this world, demons are alive. And so now I need to talk about creation. Okay, in the Garden of Eden, was the devil there or not? He was, right? But remember that uh, legally, the devil should be in the, uh, trapped in the abyss. And yet, why was devil entering into the Garden of Eden? Because this is the order of God's creation. Man was established as king over the universe. And that only applies when our right relationship with God is right. But when we lose that relationship, as Genesis says, we go back to the dust. And when we become dust, what, it, can the, what does the serpent eat? The serpent eats the dust. And so in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve saw the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. And instead of choosing God, 
they look at the temptation of that fruit. And because they choose sin, demons enter into the Garden of Eden. If you live by God, the devil cannot touch you. But when I choose the old self, when I choose myself, sin enters, which allows the devil to touch you. This is the order of things. And so when, as long as we choose sin, the devil will work. But like it says in Hebrews 2, why does God allow the devil to remain? Why does he not completely judge the devil just yet? Because we have received Jesus' victory over the devil, right? And yet it's not yet our victory. Now, of course, Jesus' victory is our victory. But we have not yet tasted that victory directly. And so as we fight and win, we taste that victory. And on that day of Jesus' return, that in that victory, we are crowned with glory. And so all of these elements are there for your glory. And so it's all for you. So the devil remaining is for you. It's for your sake. Why? So that you can uh, take out your stress on the devil, right? Constantly beating the devil. Keep trampling on the devil. And whenever something wrong happens, you can blame the devil. So don't blame people. It's because of you. No, no, you should not say that. It's, it's because of the devil. It's because of that bastard, the devil. So let's go beat him. Let's trample him. Let's destroy him. Let's kill him. Amen. Hallelujah. And so this is the uh, essence of chapter 2. And so it's simple, yes? But because I have one hour left, let's continue. So chapter 2, verse 2, or chapter 2, verse 1. We're dead in trespasses and sin. Verse 2, uh, the course of this world. Uh, and then the power of the air, the prince of the power of the air has died because I'm dead. Uh, the spirit that is now in work in the sons of disobedience. Who are the sons of disobedience? It's not talking about non-believers. It's talking about um, disobedient sons within the church. That who are dead, but by choosing sin, that disobedience comes back to life in them, and so the devil can once again take control of them. And so to those who know the spiritual world really well, will know, they will understand the severity of the spiritual warfare. It's really difficult for a time. And so Hebrews 5, 7 says that Jesus cried out in suffering. That he cried out with loud, uh, loud cries because of the suffering of death, right? To the point of death. Is it talking about the cross? Now, ultimately, of course, it leads to the cross. But this is how Jesus fought against sin. And so when Jesus fights with sin, it's not his sin that he's fighting with. That, remember, if 
Jesus sins once, then salvation for all mankind disappears. So imagine the pressure that was on Jesus. That he cannot sin even once. And that's why this is suffering to the point of death. And pastors, though you do not have the same level as Jesus, but you do have the same level, the same suffering. If you receive the world, then that corruption of the world will pollute your church. If you receive the corruption of religion, that religion will pollute your church. If you receive the corruption of immorality, that immorality will pollute your church. And so as pastors, your holiness isn't just important to you. It's important because it influences your entire church. And so how can you maintain that holiness out of your own strength? No, you cannot. And so like Jesus Christ, with loud cries and fervent tears, cry out to God, my God, I cannot do this alone. My God, you need to strengthen me. God, hold me, guard me. This is what it means to cry out to God. This is what it means to fight against sin, and this is why it is great suffering. So brothers, pastors, you have been entrusted with great glory, and yet at the same time, God has entrusted you with great responsibility. Why? Because He has poured out all grace, power, and authority needed for you to maintain that responsibility. And the reason why you fall is because you do not avail what God has given you. You fall because you do not believe what God has given you. You fall because you do not know what God has given you. You need to know, you need to believe, and you need to be able to use it. Amen? We cannot do it out of our own strength. It's impossible. And so you need to be able to pray in poor spirit. Amen? So let's move on to verse 3. Verse 3 might take a little bit of time. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. And so this passions of our flesh, right? The strength of the flesh. And so the flesh is the essence of the old self. The flesh itself is not sin, but if you allow the flesh to do whatever it wants, it attracts sin, right? And so the flesh has the system that will sin. So no matter how much you shape that flesh and try to beautify it, it cannot be touched by grace. And so as you engage in spiritual warfare within you, you will see this truth. But uh, that the old self cannot be completely separated just yet, right? Some of you may feel that, right? Am I living in the old self or the new self? There's some of you where this is a bit confusing. Why? Because you have been in the old self for so long. But now, if that ratio gets five to five, then you will see the severity of that battle and you will be able to clearly make that distinction. And you will not tolerate the old self. So brothers, do not expect that there to, for there to be any hope for the Sarks. No, one or the other must die. <laughs> 
If the old self doesn't die, then the new self dies. If the new self dies, then the old self will survive. Or sorry. So if the old self doesn't die, the new self will die. So for the new self to grow, the old self must die. Already he has lost all his strength. Would you like some coffee? very difficult to interpret. I just have to spit, say my words, right? But he has to hear my words and then say it to you. world-famous, uh, world-famous interpreter, world-class interpreter, sorry. He is world-class. Amen. Uh, my Korean expressions are not easy to interpret. Also, I speak very quickly, and yet he's following well after me, isn't he? So anyways, let's continue, brothers. We need to finish chapter 2. And so the passions of our flesh is talking about the strength, the force of the old self. The old self cannot choose grace. This is not a simple fact. Your mind is constantly confused and constantly deceived regarding this truth. And so we cannot compromise, we cannot tolerate the old self. If you leave that old self alone, he will sin. But conversely, the new self is the opposite. The new self is graced by God. And the new self doesn't have a system that can sin, doesn't have the system to sin. And so that's why in 1 John 3, it, it says that he who is born of God will not sin. So where is our victory? Our victory is allowing that new self to grow inside of you, maintaining that new self, being filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen? So let's continue. So carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And so again, we talked about the body, which is the flesh, the sarks. And so what is this desire? It's doing whatever the flesh wants. And we'll see this later in chapter 4. In 4.19, it says that they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality. That they are opening their doors infinitely to sin. That they are living by the impulses of their flesh. And that is what the old self does. The flesh does. So if we live by the flesh, we will surely die. 
But what does it mean about the mind? Why is he talking about the mind here? This is where explanation is needed. And I'm not explaining this so that to teach you theory. But as you live your faith life out, you need to understand the systems at work, the forces at work. What is the power of the blood cleansing you from? What is it setting you free from? And so here, this word, the mind, the word mind is the word Greek, dianonia. And so this word mind is used often in the Bible, right? But this word mind is you is three different it can be up to three different words in Greek. The most common one is the word cardia. Right? This is the most common word. And then this word dianonia. Another word is the word nous. And most of the most of the time these words are translated as mind. Now, this isn't wrong, but it's also not accurate. The apostles are using these different words because they understand your spiritual functions. And so look, in man, man is made up of a spirit, right? Is the spirit real or not? If you, when your body dies, your spirit lives on. Yes, spirit is real. Just as this bottle of water is real, your spirit is real. It's not imaginary. And so in my body, I have a liver, right? And this liver has a function. For example, sending out cells to uh, kill um, diseases. Or like, for example, the liver uh, breaks down alcohol in the body. Right, I used to drink a lot. I used to be a heavy drinker when, before I was a believer. But in that same way, the spirit is also real, right? And because it's real, just as your liver is real, right? Is your liver real or not? Yes, the spirit is also real. And so the spirit also has functions. Just as the liver functions, your spirit functions. And we can talk about the functions of the spirit in three things. It gives you, it has your intellect. Your intellect is part of the functions, your emotions, and your will. And so these intellect, emotion, and will is the functions of your spirit. This is the functions of your spirit. And so through these three things, what is made inside of you? It's your mentality, your mindset. And so this mindset, I'm not talking about your brain. Your mindset is talking about the functions of your spirit. And so when you die, your body is going to rot, including your brain. But when you are resurrected, your sin or your spirit does not die. 
So that means the functions of that spirit come to life as well. That means your mindset also comes to life. And this mindset remembers everything of your life from the moment you were conceived in your mother's womb until you die. And so every impurity that is recorded in your mindset that has not been cleansed by the blood of Christ will also come up. Isn't that a scary fact? When you come before God, everything that has been recorded in your mindset will be come before your eyes in the congregation of all the angels before the host of the righteous and all the saved of God, before all of that multitude. If you look at your records up to about, maybe let's say approximately 10 years of age, you will walk yourself to hell. Brothers, how grateful are we that we have the power of the blood? that he remembers your sins no longer. This is where tears and joy comes from. All the hurts that are recorded in our mind, the filthy information. And so it's because your mind has this idea that money brings happiness. That's why you give your life to earn money. But in our mindset, this idea is gone. And so I do not care about money. If your mind has hurts and wounds, you, you, you struggle because you come across these same events again and again. And so uh, the doctrine of human anthropology, Christian anthropology, uh, has it's a lot of material to cover. Uh, one of our church member, our church pastors, uh, got a dissertation on this very topic. This is a really important topic, brothers. It teaches you what a man is, but it's really complicated. Anyways, but remember. Our mindset is all the functions of, of the spirit. And this is what we call the mind. Mente. Or your heart, right? The word cardia is usually translated as heart. And so the heart or the mind. And so your mind determines your behavior. Right, as your mind moves, your behavior is function or is, is influenced. And so as your mind determines, your brain moves. Your brain determines your behavior. And so let's stop talking about complicated things. But in this mind, When this mind holds hand with the old self, the old self moves these functions, drives these functions. To what point? To your emotions, intellect, and will. In other words, it talks about your soul, right? Your psyche. And so it means you're unable to live by the spirit. 
And so if you live by the old self, you cannot live by the spirit. But when you give up yourself, give up on yourself and you choose the grace of God, then the new self drives the functions of your spirit. And so you become a spiritual being. So let's say, for example, someone hated me. Someone spat at me. And if I give up on myself, and instead of hating him, I ask God, why did he spit at me? And then so God goes through my intellect, emotion, and will, and my spirit, uh, my spirit, who dwells in my spirit is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit brings my question, my prayer to God. And then so God answers that prayer and through the Holy Spirit brings it the answer to me. Now, of course, at the same time, it gives me the power to love. And that's so I come to realize, ah, he has hurts and wounds or he's possessed by a demon. And so instead of hating him, I have mercy on him. And so the reason all sin comes from judging wickedness and receiving that wickedness. But if you live in the new self, you don't judge wickedness. You stop judgment. And you receive all the power to love from God and you receive that person. And so you do not sin. Amen? This is the functions of the Spirit. Amen? And so look, we call this entire thing the cardia, right? The mind. And as we said earlier, this cardia includes your mind, your thoughts. And so you got to... Uh, you can interpret this according to the context. So sometimes your soul could be cardia, sometimes your entire spirit can be cardia. It's so simple. If you're living in the new self, then the cardia is the entirety of your spirit. But old self is the mindset, living by my thoughts. And so you're living by your strength, by your ability, by your ethics, by your morals, by your conscience. And as I said earlier, there's another word, noose. What is the noose? Where is the noose? Okay, it's in your mind. And through the noose, we hear the voice of God and we see the glory of God. And so this noose must be clean. And why did God create the noose? Because of the limitations of man, we cannot receive the entirety of the glory of God. We would be utterly destroyed. And the noose allows to limit this, to, to adjust this. And noose is a real function of our spirit. So shall we look at Revelations? Revelations 18, Revelations 13, 18. This calls for wisdom. 
Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast. And so this word understanding is the Greek word nous. And so in these end times, the Antichrist will manifest and those whose noose is not corrupted, whose noose is clean, will also exist. And so they will not be influenced by polluted cell phones. They will not be polluted by the filthy world, cinema of the world. And so their noose is clean. And when their noose is clean, they will recognize that the Antichrist is the Antichrist. Let's look at another place in Revelations. Chapter 17, verse 9. This calls for a mind with wisdom. And this word mind again here is the word noose. And so that who is, has cleaned noose will see the Antichrist. So that's why the devil is using media and the cell phones and screens to continually pollute your noose. And so brothers, spend more time with your cell phones. Spend more time with your computers. But look, that's why in our church, they're not allowed to watch TV. And so we need to cleanse our noose every day with the blood. So look, brothers. And so what about deononia then? What is this word? It's cardia. But Paul wanted to separate it with the cardia, and so he uses a different word. And so when he talks about the body and the mind, what is this mind then? Is it including every function of the spirit? No, it's only talking about the, about the soul, right? The mind of the old self, that's it. And so, look, the conclusion. Let's be, let's, if you live in the old self, you have to live by your thoughts, your own thoughts. And if you live by the new self, you live by the Spirit of God and you have fellowship with God. And so maybe some of you do not recognize your relationship with God. But if you live by the new self, every moment by moment you are meeting with God. You are having fellowship with God. As it says in 1 Corinthians 2.10, that the Spirit of God knows all things of man and knows all the things, the secret things of God. So is the spirit that allows me to have fellowship with God. So there are many reasons why the Holy Spirit dwells within me, but the most important reason is because He is the bridge that brings me to God. And so as it says in Romans 8, 21, 28, that I do not know what I need to pray for, but the Holy Spirit groans within me, teaching me what it is I need to say. That's why I need to pray in the Holy Spirit. But and if I want to pray in the Holy Spirit, what do I need to do? I need to be in the new self. If I'm not in the new self, I can pray. But we call that prayer legalistic prayer. We call it by your will, your thoughts, your desires. This is what you pray for. This kind of legalistic prayer will never be answered by God. 
Rather, if he does answer, your spirit would just get hardened and hardened. And so sometimes with this legalistic prayer, it seems like they pray very hard, very fervently. But God doesn't call, consider this to be prayer. Prayer is only when it's led by the Holy Spirit. And so pray in the Spirit. Constantly pray in the Spirit. And so you need to see and recognize where your state is clearly. Legalistic prayer will come hit a wall of limitations. And legalistic prayer does not receive answers from God. Every now and then, he takes mercy, and so maybe once every thousand, he'll answer a prayer. And so that's why we need to pray under grace. If we pray in spirit, 100% they are answered. Amen? And so that's why in James 1, what does it say? You, you do not receive, for you ask not. And, e and even though you ask, you do not receive because you ask according to your pleasure. You look for your will. You look for your own things. Amen? Okay, so let's close the sermon today. I don't think we'll be able to finish chapter 2. But... Okay, but what God is saying to me right now is that it's important to pray. So let's pray. Okay. You are receiving very precious revelation. So don't try to understand it with your mind. Just because you have received the word, whether you bow down, don't just leave though, okay? Okay, for 30 minutes, pray in spirit. And so, gather, uh, make space for you to pray. And Koreans, uh, minister to those who are praying fervently. That your tongues will also be interpreted. That you will deal with these three S's. Amen. That your functions of spirits will open and move freely. You will receive amazing anointing. You have listened to very important message today. It's very fundamental and essential. And so if you want to bow, kneel down, go ahead. If you want to stand, you can stand. If you want to be seated, you can be seated. But don't just go. Until 50, until 550, for 30 minutes, let us have fellowship deeply with God. This conference, you need to once again open your life to prayer. You need to be a man, who, a woman who can open the gates of heaven. And so, Lord, your servants draw near to you today. They draw near to the throne of grace. Lord, if they never understood what it means to pray before your grace, Lord, may they experience it today. May their spirit be loosened today. May their bindings be loosened today. May the functions of the spirit, the intellect, emotion, and will be washed by the blood. 
May all the filthy information that has been recorded in their minds be washed by the blood. May their heels, uh, the wounds be healed in their minds. If they have bitter roots, may those bitter roots be rooted out today. May they have prayer that can open the gates of heaven wide. May the new king, anointing of the king, pour out upon them today. Beloved servants of God, cry out to your God, for he will answer you. Let we be, meet with God today in prayer, that when we pray, may revelations open up to them. May they be filled with the wisdom of heaven. May they receive amazing presence of heaven. And upon the servants who serve your church, may they receive the limitless riches of God. May there be amazing works today. May they understand the great privilege it is that they have been called to be your servants. That God, you will hold nothing back. That you will give them greater things than they could ever imagine. Pour it out, pour it out, Lord. And Lord, glorify your church. Glorify your church. Establish your glorious church. O heavenly hosts, open the gates of heaven wide. Annihilate the devil that tries to interrupt them. Give us great faith at this time. Give us great faith at this time. Renew us, Lord. Loosen us, Lord. Cry out to him as you pray, for I will answer you. For I will answer you. Be loosened. Be loosened. Oh, Lord, be present in this place. Be present in this place. More powerfully, Lord. Oh, Lord, purify them. Them. Reclaim your dignity. Reclaim your glory. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Lord, more anointing. More anointing. Deeply. Deeply. Enter into his presence deeply. Open up tongue prayer. Open up interpretation. Open up your spirit. Pray. Pray in spirit. Cleanse their noose. Heal their noose by the blood of Jesus. By the blood of Jesus. Cleanse their noose. Lord, may they see the glory of the God. Uh, may all their polluted noose be completely healed. May all the filthy pollutions be completely cleansed. Proclaim the blood of Christ in faith. Sprinkle the blood of Christ.
El Salvador, upon Costa Rica, upon Panama, upon Honduras, upon Colombia, upon Peru, upon Uruguay, upon Haiti, upon Dominican Republic, upon Argentina.
victory. Lord, uh, you have given us this amazing victory. May we completely uh, be set free and do not allow us to tolerate our bindings any longer. And may we taste true glory of freedom. And in this remaining time, Lord, continually do great works. And Lord, may we now also stand before you and bow down before you in your glory. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your grace. So let's sing this song together. dinner and we'll gather again at 7 30.